Welcome to another show. This week, we're going to be talking to Rachel Richards, who wrote the book Money Honey. Now, and I thought the show was going to be more millennial uh, money tips, but it definitely did turn into more of a mindset type of uh, podcast, which I think a lot of you guys enjoy because you guys have realized this whole simple passive cash flow game is actually pretty simple, but it's what do you do after you get that passive cash flow stream and how do you hand it off to these suckers? holding my daughter right now so she doesn't cry. Something I've picked up lately, I've been back on the Tony Robbins horse as they gave me a year's worth of their app because I wasn't able to attend their in-person event. Going over that, getting back to some of the mindset basics. And one thing I picked up today, Tony Robbins talks about being emotionally fit. And how do you do that? People who are emotionally fit put others in front of themselves. And I get it. When you are still working the day job, you are living paycheck to paycheck, or even some of you guys are saving five to $10,000 a month, you could be still in this headspace where you are thinking about yourself. And there's nothing wrong with that. At some point, I think the thought process needs to be going and helping others. This is why when people have a kid, they start to develop that external viewpoint of helping other people, their kids in that example, their family, people who have clicked where they realize they need to give back, pay it forward. That's what true happiness, or so he says, he tells me. And I agree with him for the most part. I, I look at the people in my network. There, there are two types of people who are still clawing and trying to put food on the table, metaphorically, trying to secure financial freedom. And there's other people who maybe they're not quite there yet, or they're there that are in that cruise control and they're more about enjoyment. They realize that social capital or the relationships with the right people is really the currency of the wealthy. This stuff I'm more aware of these days as I play dad and that's about making the world better for the next person. If not, what's it all about, right? What I do know, one thing is people know who are out there just looking out for themselves. That's you guys. Unfortunately, when you're the person with the oxygen mask on yourself, and I was there myself, it's hard to tell when you're in that headspace at the snap out of it. But if you're aware of this, you start to work on it and you can move towards that abundance mindset. Enjoy the show. Crossing our fingers, we can have the annual retreat in January. I want to see all you guys again. Maybe we might have to make it a little smaller this time. If you guys want to learn more about some networking tips, say you did come across some accredited investors, you want to build relationships with them, check out the networking guide at simplepassivecashflow.com slash networking. Again, check out that Infinite Banking e-course. We're going to get the weekend seminar that is free for club members. If you guys join at simplepassivecashflow.com slash club. And the Infinite Banking sign-up form is simplepassivecashflow.com slash banking. We'll teach you guys all there is to know about that. Enjoy the show. This is a story about a dude named Lane. He moved to the mainland and bought one place to stay. And then one day he went and tried to rent them out. And then he became one real investor man. Hey, Simple Passive Cashflow listeners. Today we have Rachel Richards, author of the Passive Income Aggressive Retirement book, which you can find on Amazon. And really cool. When I first saw the cover, I was like, maybe I should read this book. Because it has, on one side of the picture, it has a gal with the business attire on. And the other side, she's got a drink in her hand, running out to the beach in a swimsuit. This is the paradigm, I think, that not many people who live outside of our world understand, 
right? You work hard, you save your money, you put your money in the right place, and you eventually get to live like how others dream. Rachel, thanks for jumping on. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me, Lane. I'm excited. I think a lot of people come into our group and they find that they're not strange. They're not, you know, people buying rental properties without sight unseen or owning more than two rental properties. It's like most people think you're crazy. I think of us as like X-Men, right? We're trying to find each other, but we don't know who's an X-Men out there. Why don't you take us to, how did your story first get started before the rental properties? Uh, What did you do for work? How do you start off? And then we'll walk through the, the path so people can understand. You don't build this stuff overnight, right? Oh yeah, it takes years. But I really started getting motivated in high school just because I grew up in a really wealthy county. And I was by no means, my family wasn't like poor, living in poverty, but I had a very skewed idea of what it meant to be rich versus poor. And all the students in my high school were getting brand new BMWs when they turned 16. And my family was not operating that way. At a pretty young age, I felt like I didn't fit in. And that's not the way you want to feel in middle school and in high school. I definitely had fears growing up and limiting beliefs, just feeling like I'm never going to have enough money. I don't want to have to live paycheck to paycheck. I don't want to struggle with money like everybody else. I had a lot of fears about being financially dependent. And once I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which I feel like is a lot of real estate investors' first book that they read that turns them onto real estate investing, that's what kind of made it click for me. And that's what I always wanted to do. We work with hardworking professionals looking to opt out of investments for the clueless. I mean, mainstream investing. We work with people we have a direct relationship while enjoying higher returns and a quicker path to financial freedom. I personally move my endorsement from turnkey rentals to syndications as my net worth has grown. However, the downside of many of these deals is that you need at least $50,000 to invest, and the frequency of deals that meet my criteria is sporadic. Check out my article at simplepassivecashflow.com slash OFUND and learn how I always have cash on hand by using the American Home Preservation Fund as part of this one-two punch to be ready for a great deal while still making a double-digit return. I have been investing in AHP since 2016. AHP is a crowdfunding solution to the mortgage crisis in America, where collectively the fund and investors, like you, pull their money together and get great bulk discounts on distressed mortgages. It's a business model that I think gets stronger should a bump in the economy come because this is where there will be even more distressed inventory for AHP to purchase. The American Home Preservation Fund aims to keep people in their homes so you can make a 10% return while making a positive social impact. Invest in as little as $100 by going to ahpservicing.com investors. And if you want the free Burn Zone book and learn about George Newberry's story, please send me an email at lane at simplepassivecashflow.com. I like to buy stuff. Well, that's a liability. Up until that point, your family, your parents didn't have a million dollars net worth. Oh, no. Yeah. They had a lot of debt. They really struggled with finances. They were living paycheck to paycheck at times. And it was really difficult. I remember having conversations in the evening with my sisters. We were all in high school at the time. And we had two cars for three adults or for five adults. And we had to juggle and figure out how everyone was going to get to where they needed to be the next day. And this was like a daily thing we did in the evenings. We didn't go out to eat at restaurants, let alone go on family trips. So it was just growing up with this environment where money was a stressor and there was never enough. Why were you in like such like more of an affluent area? I I think it was more about the school system in that area and them wanting us to go to the best public schools. And it was just like a really expensive place to live. <laughs> I think I was in the same position, the poorest kid 
amongst the rich kids. In theory, it makes sense, right? It's, it can be a little lonely or definitely idealistic loneliness. Yes, for sure. And it really motivated me. They say that fear can motivate you or paralyze you. Luckily for me, it motivated me to learn and empower myself and find a way to become financially independent. That's like a lot of us, myself included, we're all first generation wealth. Like when I define that is our parents didn't have a million dollars. Our generation is the first folks to get over that mark. Now these days, a million dollars isn't that much money, but it is that threshold where most people think you're rich. But to me, unless you get up to four and a half million dollars, you're really not coasting at that point. Yeah. It's it just interesting kind of looking how you and I probably grew up very similarly. We were the, the poor kids amongst our groups. Take us like you were in a good school system. You followed that linear path of going to college and stuff like that. Where did that take you? So I went to college. I majored in financial economics and I also sold Cutco knives. Have you heard of Cutco cutlery? Yeah, the multi-level marketing. It's- no, it's not. Yeah. It is direct sales. It was a great position for me to take as a college student because I learned so much about selling, public speaking, presenting, and I paid my way through school. So all my friends' parents were paying for their college. My parents were not able to help me at all. But with that job, I was able to sell enough and pay for school and I graduated without debt. I definitely had a big advantage by not having student loans. I became a financial advisor first and foremost because I had this passion for helping people with finance and I had the sales experience. I quickly learned that cold calling for nine hours a day, five days a week is not my idea of fun. So I quit that job, but I always had this sense of wanting to figure out a different way to help people with money and investing and learning how to get their finances. And the Cutco Knives stuff, the multi-level market, that's the, they train you sometimes, right? There's a huge stigma against that stuff, but I look at it, I've never done it, but from what I hear, they teach you a lot of like good things. So if you had kids who just had no business sense at all because they're brand new at it, I'm thinking it's not a bad idea to put them into something at that, even though you're just giving your money to the big company. Yeah, I think one of the differences with Cutco is that the focus is not on recruiting and like building a pyramid scheme. It's not a pyramid scheme. They truly make their money from selling really high quality, good products. And even before I sold it, my family had been using Cutco for like since before I was born. And people rave about Cutco knives. They love them. Not only that, but I think having such strong sales and management experience at the age of 20 totally set me apart from my peers. Because they were doing things like academics and extracurriculars and internships. It's just so hard as a college student now to stand apart from your peers and to even get job offers. But when I graduated from college, I had five job offers and it was because of my Cutco experience. And you developed the skills, if anything. You started to work at the financial advising. And where did the rental properties come into play? That came into play a couple years after I left that job. In 2017, that was a big year for my husband and I. And really when we started to create passive income, that was the year that we bought our first rental property. It was a duplex in Louisville, Kentucky. I also wrote and published my first best-selling book, Money Honey. This is when we started having a lot of light bulbs and epiphanies because we realized at the end of the year, we now have two passive income streams. We have rental income and we have royalty income. And we decided to focus on growing those as much as we possibly could. Fast forward today, now everything has expanded. We have way more passive income and that's how we were able to retire at such a young age. But I look at the steps to get up to that point and build up mm-hmm. skills. I bet the sales skills helped you get into the publishing. 
that type of stuff. Of course, you had to develop the skill set of actually writing, which is another thing. But how do you see it all coming together? It's interesting because there were certain jobs that I thought I was overqualified for and I thought were a waste of time. And I was overqualified for them. But I took a short job as an administrative assistant to a realtor and I remember thinking, I have a finance degree. I should be in a corporate finance position. What am I doing here? But in hindsight, I learned so much about closing transactions and working with lenders and insurance agents and all that, how to write an offer, get an accepted contract. So that later really helped me when it came time to invest in real estate. It's interesting how sometimes you can only connect the dots in hindsight. And then with the book publishing I definitely use my sales skills. I self-published, so I did 100% of my own marketing and promoting. And I've definitely used a lot of what I've learned at Cutco, even to this day, even now. Have you ever done like a disc profile? Yes, I'm a dominant is my first one. I forget what my second one is, but or driver or whatever D stands for. Is that what it is? D is driver. Driver, yeah, that's me. (laughs) Some people call them different things that aren't so kind. But then you always have a secondary one, which I'm guessing for you, it's either a, a C or I maybe. Yeah. I, I, I's are good with people. S are steady, which I don't think you're steady at all. I think um, I'm a C. Is that the like control freak one? <laughs> Not yeah, to- you're kind of technical. That's maybe mm-hmm. that's where the, the book writing is. I'm D and C, which is very, he, my friend looked at it and he's like, nobody's D and C. It's very rare, <laughs> but that's what you are too. I'm, yeah, I'm 99% sure that's what I am. Very detail oriented and organized and a control freak. <laughs> Which like you're a leader mm-hmm. and you can do the technical stuff. You can get in your own way because you can do the stuff, but you really should be leading people. I get in my right? own way all the time. That's my worst thing. Like I'm a really strong writer and content creator. So I, I feel like I'm really good with writing my own emails to my email list and doing my Instagram posts. But if I want to keep growing and scaling my company and helping more people, I can't be doing that stuff anymore. Yes, it's been very hard for me to delegate. That makes sense the way I've seen it. So you picked up these rental properties and how did you scale from the first one and then eventually going FI? Yeah, I'm glad you asked. A lot of people assume because I was able to scale so quickly. I went from zero to 38 doors in two years. A lot of people assume I'm a trust fund baby and I'm not. I always like to clarify, I'm not a trust fund baby and I never made six figures from a job or career. I started out making 36 grand after I graduated, but we had a couple of things going for us, my husband and I, that allowed us to scale so quickly. First of all, we both graduated without debt. That was a big advantage. Andrew's a veteran, so he used his military benefits to pay for school. Secondly, we were investing in Louisville, Kentucky, which is a reasonable cost of living area. Housing prices are reasonable. It's not like we were trying to buy $2 million properties in California. And then third, I had my realtor license. The commissions I was earning on my own properties really helped us scale quickly. For example, the first duplex we bought was a hundred grand. And by then my husband and I each had saved $10,000 of our own savings. We put that together to get to our $20,000 down payment, but we totally depleted our savings with that. We didn't have anything left after that, but because I was my own buyer's agent, I got a commission check back from the closing. And sometimes it was a couple thousand dollars. Sometimes I would get 10 grand buying my own rental property as my buyer's agent commission. And we would put that towards the down payment for the next property. We were doing that. We were already frugal as it was. We were saving 100% of the cash flow. So every property we bought when we started making more money, we weren't 
giving into lifestyle creep and deciding, oh, we get to live it up now. We were very strict and disciplined and we saved 100% of the profits so that we could reinvest and purchase the next one. But let me um, pause here and just translate this for the podcast listeners who always are very uncalibrated because they live in their own bubbles and they don't talk to anybody. <laughs> but Rachel did right here is she was really good at saving her money and the realtor thing. If you guys are accredited investors, don't go get your realtor license, guys. That's a waste of time. But if you guys are under half a half a million, maybe quarter million, especially $100,000 net worth, these are the types of things you guys need to do to get off the ground. This is why I created the Rich Uncle channel before the young people trying to get going because that first $100,000, is the hardest money to make. What I normally would ask like for onboarding clients onto the We the Pipeline Club, I always try to get to this answer is like, how much were you able to net at the income minus expenses? How much were you putting away? to investing in the beginning. It was always extremely frugal. And even when I was making 36 grand, I was finding a way to save half of my income. I was living off something like $1,500 a month starting out. It's easy, even if you're only making 36 grand, it's easy to see how I could save several thousands of dollars by the end of the year. My husband did make six figures eventually. I don't think he was making six figures yet in 2017 when we started investing. Combined, I think we were making six figures and we were definitely trying to save 50% of that. We could come up with money quickly just because we were so frugal. But most people in my group, even the younger guys, they're able to save at least twenty dollars to $30,000 a year. The guys over their 40s who hit the apex in their career... Even though they have more expensive, they're able to save maybe fifty to hundred thousand dollars plus every year. But that's the key, guys. There's no secret sauce other than your net. What do you put to investing? I know when I was in my early twenties, I was putting away like eighty, hundred grand plus per year. That's the secret sauce. Amazing. Bigger pockets will never tell you, right? They always say, "Oh, zero to hundred, whatever." But that's essentially what it is: is how much money you can save. There's some tricks and tactics in there, but in the beginning, frugality is what you need. Exactly. I'm glad you said that because there's definitely no shortcuts. There's no magic bullets. There's two ways to save more money. One is to decrease your expenses and the other is to increase your income. And you absolutely have to focus on both if you want to build massive. I am always like people who just listen to the podcast and hear me like blabber blabber about buying like a nice car or whatever. They don't get the big picture. Like in, in our group, we try and once you get up to a certain unit count, you get to a certain passive income level, maybe a thousand or a few thousand dollars a month. To me, it's time to relax a little bit, live life. Yes. What was your first thing you remember of lifestyle creep at what point? Probably when we hit 10 grand a month in passive income. And then I feel like we let our foot off the brakes a little bit with being so frugal. And even went back when I was single, like before I had met my husband, it was just, I was in a whole nother ball game then. I was super intense about my money. And I don't think I could ever go back to being that intense and sacrificing so much Certainly now we are able to spend a lot more and not worry about it. We're in a place where I've switched from a limiting mindset to an abundance mindset. A few years ago, if I wanted to go spend $500 on clothes, I would have figured out, well, where can I cut back to make up for it? Now, if I want to go spend $500 on new clothes, I just ask myself, how can I make $500 more? Because I don't want to give up my standard of living anymore or have to sacrifice things or give things up. I would just rather make more money to cover those things that I want to buy. And you would save the $500, but waste X amount of hours and 500 brain currency sales. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember back, what was like one of the first conscious things? Because it's it slow incremental over time, right? But what was like one of the early things that was your original lifestyle creep things that you consciously, I'm going to spend my money 
on this one. I specifically remember when I was in college, we had this three week term in January and it was just this random three weeks where we could take a, a unique class. I decided to sign up for this class in Hawaii And one of the things I wanted to do while I was there was skydive. And I remember thinking to myself, this costs $125. I don't know if I can make this happen. That's a lot of money. That was a lot of money for me at the time. But I bounced it off my Cutco manager at the time. And he actually encouraged me to do it. I spent the $125. I went skydiving. And it was one of the coolest things I've ever done. Well, I know for me, it was like, I invested in that HP thing. I put in 60 grand there and I got 600 bucks every month. That's what I used to lease a Mercedes. <laughs> That's amazing. Mine's $125 and yours is 60 grand. That's hilarious. <laughs> and now here you are today. What are like any lessons learned to kind of open up the spending money stuff? Because I think you're a big inspiration in building your portfolio, but I think people here, they're already doing that. They know it works, but how do you take it and get from scarcity to abundance mindset? Yeah, I think part of it is there's two ways to go about something you can try to figure something out on your own and certainly you can do it. There's a lot of free resources out there, but you're probably going to make costly mistakes. It's going to take you a lot longer. And this is a lesson I've had to learn. There is such a thing as being too cheap and too frugal. And if you're not willing to invest in yourself or invest in a way that can help you grow and get ahead or just invest in the right things and not be cheap, then you're really going to be holding yourself back. A perfect example of this is when I first wanted to hire a property manager. I was trying to look for ways that I could do it frugally and not give up so much of our rent money. And we had these two people that had been working for us, really hard workers. They did a lot of the cleaning and the maintenance at our properties. They seemed really intelligent, always went above and beyond. And we decided to hire them as employees of our company and train them on how to be our property managers. Everything started out great, but then six months in, My husband went to the rentals to collect rent one day from the lockboxes, and he realized there was a lot missing. And it wasn't just the normal tenant paying late. It was a significant amount. So we come to find out that the property managers stole $6,000 in rent that month and ran away. And we still don't know where they are to this day. And we found out they'd been squatting in vacant rooms and units in our properties for almost a year. That was awful, like such a violation of trust. The huge moral of the story is there are certain places where you don't be cheap. It doesn't make sense to cut corners because being cheap can end up costing you a lot more in the long run. And we definitely should have hired a reputable licensed bonded insured property management company. And then that wouldn't have happened. Yeah. I call it CFE, cheap, easy, free. Anytime you try and do that, you get burned. And I started to adopt this maybe four years ago, maybe I think five or six years I was doing, I had a dozen rentals at least. I don't know what the hell I was doing, but like I was doing the dog sitting thing. I was watching other people's dogs because I like dogs, but this one dog attacked me and I was like, what the hell am I trying to do? Trying to make a few hundred bucks every other week. And I have the scar on my leg that helped me understand that. Yeah. Don't be cheap, easy, free. And also, I think you're seeing like the syndication world, like a lot of this is like building networks with other pure passive accredited investors. Accredited investors can smell cheapos from a mile away. They know who they are. For sure. I think a big difference between non-accredited and accredited investors is that there's different goals. I think when you're first starting out, you don't have any money, but you do have more time. 
and you're willing to hustle and work harder and maybe self-manage and do things that you wouldn't be willing to do later. But then when you get further into your real estate investment journey, it flips the other way where suddenly you have a lot more money and you don't have a lot of time. That's why we're actually selling some of our rental properties right now and transitioning all that money into syndications because I'm sick of dealing with them. I'm sick of the liability. I'm sick of having tenants. I would rather make a little bit less money. You still make great money in syndications. I'd rather make a little bit less money and literally not have to do a thing. What we found is that investing in syndications aligns so much better with our passive income goals. Another thing that accredited investors realize is relationships are the currency of the wealthy, but the right relationships with also abundance mindset of people. And if you want to call it accredited investors too, not accredited investors, not saying they're bad people, but they just don't have money and they run on a different operating system in my opinion. Yeah. And I used to be one and I totally see now how my mindset has changed over time. It's really fascinating. I just had different values and goals then and definitely was more in this scarcity mindset. Now I've totally flipped in the opposite direction, but surrounding yourself with people, you're absolutely right, is the most important thing. And that's another thing I've had to be okay with investing in is especially with growing my business, with my books and my courses I definitely hit a wall because I've been trying to figure it out all on my own. I was like, what do I do now? And I I ended up investing into a mastermind that really helped me strategize and be clear on where to go. In my opinion, I want to be the dumbest person in the room. I want to surround myself with people who are already five or 10 steps ahead of me so that I can mimic everything that they're doing. I wish I could say the same with my CrossFit class. I don't like to be the slowest person. I want to be a little (laughs) bit better than average. Exactly to your point, right? We haven't done this in a while due to the pandemic, but I'll get the live investors together and with a little wine thing when I travel. Sometimes I'll bring in the non-accredited guys and I always watch. I'm not dumb. I know the non-accredited guys act very differently. Their pulse is a little bit faster. (laughs) They're like, oh, should I, what should I invest in? Who should I invest with? They're always like, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? Where the accredited guys, they play the long game a lot more. They're much more farmers or hunters. They want to get to know each other investors. They want to get to who's going to be a better drive for them, who's more of a lifelong friend. And then once they've nourished the relationship, play the long game, then they create that avenue to share what they're doing financially. And if non-accredited investors don't understand it, but I'm just like telling it to people now, it's very two different ones freaking out. Nobody wants to talk to that guy. That guy's just out for himself. And you can tell, you can smell it a mile away. But the accredited yeah. guys, you need to act and be cool, help each other out. I think the nice thing about most real estate investors is it's not about money and it really isn't. Yeah, that's so true. Actually, I agree with, I was l- laughing a little bit because you should see the people that comment on my TikToks. I'm on TikTok and I do a lot of videos for millennials and Gen Zers and everything. People freak out a lot. Like, They expect a lot. A lot of times people feel entitled to your time or your advice for free. And I definitely have tried to help people as many as I could for free at one point, but it was so draining and mentally exhausting. And I got so burnt out from trying to do that. I think you're totally on point. You really need to approach any relationship with adding value first before asking for anything in return. And that's how I approach any networking or any new contact that I meet. Yeah, I'll, I'll put it right in the head for you. It's like the cheap, easy, free guys are the ones hitting you up on TikTok and they're exhausting. You're oh talking to them. This guy's just asking a bunch of random, he's just an asshole is what we call him. Like, <laughs> what's in it for me? What's in it for me? Give me, give me, give me, give me. And then they're peace out. Yeah. You never see him again. Or they'll ask me 15 questions and they, they're not even willing to buy my $15 book. They think that they're entitled to my time 
and my free advice. You spent a lot of time on it. Your time is valuable. The fact that you're putting it out there, that's more yeah. than what most people do, I think. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to put um, this on my TikTok. Yeah. That, that said, <laughs> you can put this on your TikTok. People always want actionable bottom, was it top-down advice or bottom-up advice? Bottom-up. But like the $100 rule or the $100 trick, also you can use this in Las Vegas when you're booking. It used to be the $20 trick. I tell my guys, like whenever you're talking to a professional, such as yourself, CPA, lawyer, there could be an avenue to send them an email into their inbox. Just give them a hundred bucks. Say, hey, what's your Venmo? Or, hey, I'm just going to send you a check because I like, value your time. You're just doing that mm-hmm. sit, like most people's hourly rates are 300 to $1,000 an hour. But just give them a hundred bucks and at least it like shows like that you respect them, number one. And 99.9% of the people aren't doing it. Depends what kind of mood I'm in, or I'm sure you're like this. <laughs> You'd be like, no, that's cool. Keep her hundred dollars and you're more, yeah. it greases the wheel. Totally. If somebody did that to me, yeah, I probably would be like, save yeah. your money. I, I'm happy to answer a question over email. Yeah. Because what kind of person you're dealing with the other end, end. Right. that's the same mentality of a credit investor. You don't want to deal with all this nonsense of cheap, easy, free people. They're just out for their own good and never going to give back to anybody else. But when people are like that special, that giver, as Amy Grant's giver and taker, I forget what that book was. But you find a giver, you know who they are, and you want to invest in those relationships even further. I agree. That's why I don't do TikTok too. Yeah, it's frustrating. <laughs> At the end of the day, like you're not doing this for your health or money. Uh, yeah, exactly. I'm not motivated by money anymore. I'm just trying to help people. I'm putting out free content. I'm trying to help people who are struggling to have so many people be so rude and cruel is just mind-blowing to me. Yeah, they just need a hug. I feel bad for them. What's your next steps forward in terms of building more financial wealth? What's like the things that you're looking for these days? How do you receive the economy? Any predictions? Yeah, I'm looking to just get into a lot more syndicating. And that's how you and I first met. And I want to do more deals with you. I've sold a couple of my properties. I'm trying to look into how I can avoid capital gains taxes. Do I want to do a 1031 exchange? Do I want to try to invest in an opportunity zone fund? So I'm looking into my options there and just trying to figure out a way to put all that equity and put all enormous business. My husband and I are now on a six month road trip all around the US. So I'm taking a little bit easy. I say that and I'm in the middle of launching like a a real estate boot camp. But yeah, I just want to probably write more books, create more programs and help more people. And I think people can emulate what you're doing once they get their head above water, get to financial independence. You figure out what gives you energy and for you, it's like you cut out all the noise and you just focus on today with writing giving the message. I know every book is a little bit different, but if you were to distill your kind of mantra to your audience, which is probably what younger people. Yeah, mostly female millennials. Yeah, I wrote Money Honey because I was in my early 20s. I was a former financial advisor. All my family and friends were coming to me for financial advice, which was amazing because that's what I love to help people with. And I remember thinking, why aren't they reading books on their own or learning on their own? And then I realized, oh yeah, that's because personal finance is boring for most people. It's complex, it's overwhelming, it's intimidating. So I thought to myself, how can I make this topic sassy and fun and simple? And that's where the idea for Money Honey came from. My superpower is all about making this complex topic into something that 
you will laugh out loud reading about. And it's really resonated with women and young people. And then my other like message, because I'm all into passive income now, like you are, is that I truly think that anyone at any age on any income can achieve financial independence. Good message. Anything else uh, you want to promote or put out there for the folks? Oh, thanks. I appreciate that. Both my books are on Amazon, Money Honey and Passive Income Aggressive Retirement. And what I would love to do for your listeners, Lane, is if anyone wants to download my Passive Income Starter Kit, it might be a little too basic for you, but you can definitely check it out. I'll give that for free. So you can go to moneyhoneyrachel.com slash bonus. Yeah, the podcast is there up. Listeners, they're all in that cheap, easy, free stuff. They devour these little like... (laughs) There you go. Here's another one for you guys. I know Rachel will put a little spin on it differently. That's the key, right? This financial world is... We're all trying to get people out of Wall Street nonsense and investing directly in investments. Yeah. Just find somebody who you jive with. and It's all the same stuff at the end of the day. Thanks, everybody, for listening. If you haven't yet, uh, check out the uh, website. A lot of free guides on there. And uh, we'll see you guys next time. This website offers very general information concerning real estate for investment purposes. Every investor situation is unique. Always seek the services of licensed third-party appraisers and inspectors to verify the value and condition of any property you intend to purchase. Use the services of professional title and escrow companies and licensed tax, investment, and or legal advisor before relying on any information contained herein. Information is not guaranteed as in every investment there is risk. The content found here is just my opinion and things change and I reserve the right to change my mind. Above all else, do your own analysis and think for yourself because in the end, you are the only person who is going to look out for your best interests.